We know God by a thousand names, so many names in scripture that we can look towards and be excited about knowing God. And that's why we've titled this sermon series Majestic and in concentrating specifically on how awesome he is. It's not a word we use a lot, majestic. In fact, when we use that word, we're often probably talking about a sunset or, or, or sunrise or just something beautiful we've seen in creation. But, but we're gonna specifically focus on all these names of God over the next few weeks. And, and how when we know these names, we get to know God better and it really informs our relationship with him and it grows our prayer life. Now, now don't beat up on yourself, but if you're kind of a God help me to have a good day prayer warrior or a God's neat let's eat prayer warrior, we wanna add, we wanna add to that some some aspects of who God is so your prayers have more depth. And that is why it's the focus, not only our week of prayer, but the weeks leading up to Easter. Because it was in scripture, in Matthew 6, 9, where the disciples came up to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Imagine taking a master class with Jesus on how to pray. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he started out with a line that you'll still hear today throughout many different venues. He said this, well, start this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy, say it, church, name. Hallowed be thy name. We need to know the name of God. And keep in mind, when we're talking about all these names, they're referencing the same God. And so the more you know these names, the more you know the God of scripture. And in a time period where people are trying to define God at reckless rates without a thorough look at what the scriptures say about God, isn't it good to spend some time learning the names from scripture. So we're gonna start where we kind of began last week, but we're gonna develop it even more. We're gonna start with his original name that shows up in scripture, and that is L. Now, if you're listening on a podcast or something like that, it's not the letter L, it's E-L, L. It's not E-T either. It's E-L. Keep you kids here. It means strong one. Strong one. Whenever we see L, it, it carries the idea of strong one, especially when it's before other names. Now, now here's why I specifically point that out. I'm gonna leverage six other L names that if you know them, it's gonna impact your prayer life in some magnificent ways. Here's a few of them. El Elohim, El Elion, El Olam, El Roy, El Shaddai, El Gabor. You know, when you know these names, you'll know more about God and it will inform your relationship. You probably didn't walk up to your wife the first time you met her and said, hey, sweetheart, or you maybe got smacked. But the longer you got to know her, you were able to say, hello, sweetheart. Now, if she says, what do you want, jerk? That name she's given you has informed her opinion of how she feels right now, right? And, and a name gives us an idea of not only what is being communicated, but the feelings of the one communicating it back. And that's why when we see these names of God in scripture, many of these names have come from a child of God going, I know you now as this. And they also come from God saying, I want you to know me as this. I know you're all excited to get to Yahweh and we will, but let's start with L. If I asked you, do you know what those L's mean? You might be like, I'm not so sure. That's Hebrew, right? Yes, it is Hebrew, these L's. But when you know what each one of those means, it's gonna inform you. Let me prove it to you with a, a zoom through, if you will, the L names before we'll camp on one. That first one is Elohim, okay? Elohim, it means the creator God. Used 35 times in scripture, Elohim shows up specifically in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now you read that in English and you go God. The problem is people make up their own gods. I say God's like this. Well, I think God's like this. 
But this God comes from Elohim. The word Elohim, El, strong one, and then Him carries the idea, I'll get technical for just a minute, a third person singular in the masculine form that is in that language. So it's in masculine form. So you can't play games with the word Elohim to make it multiple things. It's in masculine form in the the verb that's added to him, which means creator, which can speak to its plurality. What? Elohim, strong one, in masculine form, in verb that carries the idea of plurality. And that's why you read a few verses later where it says in scripture, let us make man in our own image. You say, let us, I thought it was God. But that Elohim exists in plural form, most likely, and I believe, a direct reference to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. When you understand that God in scripture, in this verse means Elohim, it informs your prayer life. How? When you look at creation, you say things like, Heavenly Father, thank you today for this gorgeous sun. Elohim, I thank you for creating it. Do you see the idea? Do you see how it carries this this extra aspect to your prayer life to understand that the creator God is Elohim? Have any of you ever prayed about the weather? Oh yeah, come on, baseball players, I know you have. You got a tough matchup, you're like, Lord, let it rain. (laughs) We pray about the weather, about to take flights, different things like this. We're praying about the weather. The creator God is Elohim. Have you ever prayed to his name? You can. It's one of his names. How about El Elyon? El Elyon. It means most high God. So if I were to put all these gods out, lowercase g, you'd have these gods, but Elyon is the God of gods, the most high God. Sometimes I'll be watching football on a Saturday afternoon and people are naming their schools like, I go to this school, I go to this school, I go to this school. And, it, and without a doubt, somebody went to Ohio State. So somebody out here is like, yes, let's go. But they'll go, the Ohio State. I'm like, there's really no other Ohio State. So what are they saying here? We're, we are the most high, the, right? Well, the idea here of Elion is the God of gods, the most high God. It's in Genesis 14, 19, where Abraham blessed the most high God, El. Leon. And, and one of the reasons I want to bring this up is because when you talk about demonic forces in scripture, they will always often refer to God as El Elyon. That They'll always go that route. And, and, they, and they formulate that. In fact, it was in a passage, a prophetic passage in, in, in the book of Isaiah where it talks about this person who many attribute as being Lucifer saying, I will ascend, I will make my throne, I will be like the most high God. I will be like El, Elion. And when we see this show up, we notice that that the enemy forces often use this word because they lust after the attributes of the most high God. There's no other God like him. And that was Lucifer's sin, that he wanted to be like God. You know, there was three boys, uh, maybe, maybe teenage guys, a little bit older, possibly college age. And they would not bow to this massive altar built to another God, built to a man built in the image of a king called Nebuchadnezzar. The horns would sound and they would not bow. And it got them thrown into a fiery furnace that they used for building such massive temples at the time to other gods and other things. And they're thrown into this fiery furnace and the fire does not consume them, scripture says. And this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who is watching what he believed would be them burning alive, notice there's a fourth one in the flame. And in noticing that they're not being consumed and that there is a fourth one in the flame, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of... El, Leon, come out, come here. When you know that you're praying not only to Elohim, but El, Leon, it helps you 
when you know there might be somebody in your family worshiping a man-made God, worshiping other things. God, I know I'm praying to El Elyon. You're the most high God, and I must have no other gods before you. There are people sometimes who will say, my God can't do that. My God or my God wouldn't do that. And they kind of have defined God. It was happening in the time of the book of Acts where there was this young man, Stephen. He was preaching on the street. He was an incredible speaker for only some believe being like 17 or 18 years old. And he was communicating the things of God so eloquently and with such scholarly understanding, it was clearly that he was anointed by God to speak this message. And shortly before they stoned him, kids, at that time, they literally took rocks and threw them and hit people with stones till they died. Before he was stoned to death, he looked across the unbelieving Jewish crowd who said God would never do something outside of their Jewish temple. He said, God's so much bigger than that. You can't put him into some sort of box of your man-made temple. He's bigger than that. He's uncontainable. He said, the most high God does not live in houses made by human hands. El Elian does not do that. Now, why is that significant? Because if Stephen would have said, Yahweh does not live, Jehovah does not live, he'd be using the Jewish name for God and they would kind of assume that he's talking about the Jewish God. But here he references Elian and he says, he's so much bigger than a God of just the Jews. And you can't put him inside a house made by human hands. How does it inform your prayer life to know that you pray to the name that even demons bow to? I've been in ministry long enough to see some pretty evil things. And sometimes it gives me great joy to know that I pray to the God that is greater than even some of the demonic things that sometimes show up especially in people's lives who have given over footholds. El, Elion. How about El Olam? Do you know that one? El Olam means the eternal God. Abraham knew this God, this El Olam, the God who is eternal. He, he, he had a, a situation in his life come about where he gave God the name El Olam. It was an interesting time period, right on the border of what it would be then Israel, there was a, a well. And that well was often fought over because it was a strategic well, a place where you could get water. And at that well, he and this, and this person named Abimelech would go back and forth until finally a peace treaty was met at that well and Abraham wanted to do something to symbolize that God was there. And so scripture says in the book of Genesis that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, there it is, El Olam. You say, oh, that's why he planted the tamarisk tree. No, you didn't say that? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm testing our education, right? What is a tamarisk tree? If you understand what a tamarisk tree is, it really speaks to what Abraham was trying to do. Did you know what a tamarisk tree, not only does it grow out like a bush that covers a lot of area and creates incredible shelter, but a tamarisk tree is one of the slowest growing trees that exist. They only grow about an inch per year. They take 400 years to reach their maturity, not their lifespan, their maturity. Imagine if your dog grew that slow. 400 years to reach maturity. So Abraham, praying to an eternal God, a forever God, a God who's gonna be around long after he's come and gone, plants a tree as a symbol that God is eternal. He's forever. He keeps going for that tree will be there long, long, long after him. In fact, many believe that tree would have been there after the wanderings in the wilderness and could have served as even shade for those who were following El Olam. 
Elroy. Elroy is one of those names that a lot of people know. And they go, oh, I love Elroy. We saw it the week of prayer. There's people who say, that's one of my favorite names of God. It's a name that means the God who sees me. You know, it's one thing to come to church and go, I guess there's this God who loves everybody in here. But when you realize that God loves you personally, that changes your whole spiritual life. Wait a minute, I'm not just like doing this because like my mom, dad, like coming to this. Like, no, no, he loves me. El Roy means the God who sees me. What's its context? Abraham and Sarah were unable to have a child. And if anybody knows the pain of that for those who desire to have a child, it can be a very empty feeling, a very frustrating feeling. It can question like, did we do something to deserve this? Lots of doubt can rush through the minds of those who are struggling to do this. And that is exactly where Abraham and Sarah come into the story. Sarah cannot have a child. And so she decides, you know what we'll do? It was socially acceptable at that time to have a servant go in and sleep with the patriarch of the family so that they would have a child if the wife couldn't provide. I mean, we got to carry on Abraham's name. Have you ever rushed ahead of what God wants to do? They did. Well, the servant's name was Hagar. She had a child by Abraham. And when Sarah looked at Hagar after having a child with Abraham, she looked on her with contempt and treated her harshly. Hagar did what she was told to do, but she was treated basically like a piece of meat. It's very sad, but if you're around life long enough, you'll know that there are some people that it seems to be that's part of their story. They were simply used for their body for selfish gratifications or for other people's agendas. And Hagar was used that way. And then Sarah treated her harshly and she ran, she fled into the wilderness. She fell down by a brook and it was there that God came to her and said, I'm seeing this. But at the same time, it was a moment in Hagar's life where she, she sees that God loves her. Scripture says this, you are a God of seeing, for she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. How many of you feel like God doesn't see what you're currently going through? Wouldn't it be great for your prayer life to say, dear Heavenly Father, I know you are Elroy, I know you see me, and I know you care about me. We will go through incredible difficulties in our lives because sin is on this earth. You will hear people come alongside and say, you must have done something, and sometimes it is our own decision making. But sometimes it is because we live in a sin-cursed earth with sinful people who hurt people. One day, God will clean this whole thing up. But until that time, it isn't good to know that God's not missing this. He's Elroy, he's the God who sees. Do you know the name El Shaddai? I love that name, isn't that great name, El Shaddai? Shaddai, it means all sufficient one. It means the one who completely satisfies. Do you know that you can go down into the root of this name and it's the one who is more than enough? El Shaddai. Have you ever knew, used this name in your prayer life? Abraham had walked with God for years, some 24 years until God gave himself this name so that Abraham would use it. It's used 48 times in scripture, 31 times in one specific book. Do you want to know what that book is? Could you guess? The book of Job. The book of Job leverages the El Shaddai more than any other book. A book of suffering is a book that references El Shaddai. What is it about this name? This name carries the idea of God nourishing us like a mother nourishes a child. That's her firstborn and she's breastfeeding it. There's a tenderness to it. There's a care. There's a holding them close. El Shaddai. 
Anybody who knows a, a, a young mom who's taking care of a baby knows that moms put themselves through everything to care for that child. I remember those nights where they would wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, what a terrible sound to hear that. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. You're crawling into rooms at that time period in your life. I can assure you it ends around like 20. But, but no, no, that's not. But, but, but you go through those time periods in your life. And I remember one time I was, I was, I was going to be a great husband. I'll get up and go to the child and, and take care of the child. I can't nurse the child, even though it's sometime tried. But I can, I can get the bottle. And Rebecca tells a story that I got up and went into the closet of our bedroom. I, I thought I was going to the, and she said, I'll just go. I will just go. Our kids wouldn't be here if it weren't for me. I mean, not for me, for her. Abraham says, Abraham hears God say, I am God Almighty. I'm not just Elion. I'm not just Elohim. I'm not just Elroy. I'm El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I tenderly love you. It's a phrase that's often used in blessing. It's almost like those times where you stand over a child's bed and pray for them. Young parents, have you ever done that? I did. When they weren't feeling well and they're such a little package, you're like, Lord, just be with them tonight as they sleep. I, I, I don't know what's specifically wrong. His ear infection's gone for so long. You know, I feel so bad for him. God makes them cute so you can look at them cute. Because they're not always cute. Have you ever leveraged El Shaddai, the tender God? Watch over him. If you've ever sat outside of a bedroom of a teenager you know is going through a trial in their life or in their sports life or in their friendship life and you know they're struggling, they fell asleep crying a little bit, you tried to care for them but you know you can't, you sit down by that door and you go, Lord, I, I won't want them to see me in the room. And you walk in the room when they're older, you could get hurt. <laughs> but El Shaddai, tender God, watch over them. Uh, it must have been passed down because Isaac said it to Jacob in Genesis 28. He said, God bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you might become a company of people. I'll should die, bless you. Jacob said, uh, or excuse me, Isaac said to Jacob. And then later, Jacob says to Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. He says, El Shaddai, the Almighty, shall bless thee with blessings. What a great name of God. But, but the one I wanted to camp on today and the one that I get really excited about is, is I, I get excited about all of them, I'm kind of that way, but El Gabor. If you're playing football and you show up and the other team's middle linebacker is El Gabor, <laughs> you need to get off the field. You're gonna die. Don't name your child Gabor for that, okay, please? Like Pastor Chris was saying, we're gonna name our kid El Gabor. El Gabor, mighty God is the name. El Gabor, how do you know? Because there's people in scripture that are called Gabors, not El, the mighty one or God, but there are people in scripture called Gabors. The idea means warrior, hero in battle. This is the battle God. This is the mighty God, El Gabor. How do you find out if you are a Gabor? Well, you gotta be at war. You wanna know the one of the ways a youth pastor finds out? Paintball. I'm telling you, you find a lot out about kids with paintball. I, I could take athletes who are on scholarships, put them in a paintball thing, and they're like, ah! It's amazing how many young people are afraid of that paintball. And you should be. It does hurt. I'm not going to lie. There's kids who show up at these paintball events. They've got on eight layers of clothes sweatsuits, hoodies, and everything. And, and there's always that one who dresses all the way up and they leave the back of their neck open. Let me tell you, that'll buckle the strongest dude in the world. I've taken one right there. It's not that fun on the back of this head either. Not a whole lot of hair to hold it back. Bang, right? You find out a lot. You find out the kids who are terrified and they say things like this. We're gonna guard the flag. We're just gonna stay back here in that bush right here and guard the flag. And they guard the flag and they go home with all their paintballs at the end of the day that their parents pay for. Shoot a few into the air, poof, poof, you know. There's some in battle, they immediately turn into whatever video game they've been playing. 
this way, this way, this way. It's like, like Fortnite in action, all right? You're like, okay, all right, flank me, I'm going in. Then there's some who you wonder if their mom didn't hug them enough. Like, did your mom not hug you? They, they're usually drooling at the thought of attacking the other team. They're running ahead. Bud, bud, she's in eighth grade. You didn't need to unload your gun on her. She's trying to get away. You find out a lot about people when they're in conflict, whether they're aggressive, whether they're strategic, or whether they're just, this is dumb, I'm not doing it, and jaded. You know, paintball just doesn't expose it. Battles in our own life expose it. And there's a battle in everybody's life at some point, isn't there? Maybe some of you are just on the other side of it. Maybe some of you are walking into it. And don't get cocky for a minute, push back on me. We all go through things that scare us a little bit. Maybe you're the patriarch of the family and you know somebody in this family needs to be talked to and you haven't been doing it. And it needs to be addressed. Maybe. It's something where you know something's getting treated wrong and, and you've been leaning on doing it and you're just too scared to do it. Maybe it's your own life and you know that God's been pushing you to do something. You feel it in your bones, but you've been giving him reasons and giving him excuses why he shouldn't use you. We all got battles. And sometimes they start small. Like maybe you're out there today, kids, and you're singing tonight at five o'clock and your heart's already racing. Pastor Chris knows what that feels like. About Saturday night, it'll hit you. Why is that happening? Why is that happening? Because you're going to be in front of people and you're going to do an awesome job tonight, kids. But it's going to be a moment in your life where you've got to fight a battle that you're kind of scared to do. Some of you are coming off championships where you've been in tunnels and you're standing there in your uniform and all your guys and girls are with you, whatever it is, and you felt that heart. I gotta go out there into something I'm scared about. Some of you, it's at work and you know you've gotta take this position. They're looking to you to take the position and you're going, yeah, I've got it, I've completely got it. Why does it feel like that in my chest? Because there's some anxiousness to it. How do I live like a Gabor? Well, let's learn some about these Gabors. These mighty warriors are brought up. First instance, we see the warriors were David's mighty men in scripture. Have you ever heard of these guys? Crazy. Do you like Marvel comics and all that stuff? These guys were like unbelievable people. Scripture was way out in front of all that. And it talks about these guys that David had around him. These guys who did incredible feats for David's army. One was Josheb Beth-Hebeth. I know, I'm scared already too. He was the chief of the three leaders in David's mighty men. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Look in this room. We don't have 800 people here. We probably got around 550, 580. One man, let's go. How about Eleazar? You gotta love these names. He rose down and struck the Philistines until his hand was so weary and his hand clung to the sword. He's fighting, he's fighting. And when the fight was over, he's like, okay, I put my sword down. And it's locked into his hand. So you got one guy, he's taking on 800 men. He's out in front. You got another. He is so persevering through battle, he won't even let go of the sword. And then there's Shammah. Tell me about Shammah. Shema, there was a plot of ground full of lentils and the men all fled from the Philistines. But you know what Shema did? He took his stand in the midst of the plot. He, he basically went into the plot. There's a plot against us and he went into it and stood and struck down the Philistines when everybody else ran. It's good to have a Shema in your life. Someone who'll stand by you when everybody else runs. But you ever hear about Benaiah? You say, yeah, I was reading about him this morning. Okay, then stay with me. Benaiah was a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. What's this? Were there drones in Bible time? No. These aerials, the word it literally means in its original language, it carries the idea of lion-like men. He took down some of the two massive men of Moab. He also went down and struck a lion in a pit on one day when snow had fallen. Anybody, anybody go, What? 
What's that about? Why did he go down to a pit and it gets recorded in all scripture as God breathed? What is that about? He goes down and kills a lion on the pit the day of snowfall. I gotta think I know why he did this. Just because he can. I mean, unbelievable. But there's this one guy. He's called a Gabor in scripture and he gives me so much confidence going into my battles because there's a lot of times where I go into conflict, I go into battles and I'm feeling some fear inside and I know I need to move forward and I want to be a Gabor, but everything inside me says, maybe not this one. How can we get out of this one? How can we avoid this one? The story's in Judges 6. Israel had brought, brought, brought so low because of the Midianites. You ever read in the book of Judges? There's lots of judges. One of them was Samson, if you don't know any of the judges. You hear of Deborah. There's also one named Gideon. And this is his story. Sin had brought Israel very low. This isn't, this isn't my statement, but sin will always do three things. Always remember this. Sin will do three things. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. Again, Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. I mean, we were just friends and I was like thinking we were just gonna hang out and then, and then before, you know, he offered me this and I was like, I don't know, should I do that? But I trust him and I thought, yeah, maybe just once and then all of a sudden I kind of felt myself addicted and then before, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. I mean, he said, just come over and I was like, I like him and so I went over and you know, he's like, hey, how about we go down in my basement and, and then you, before you know it, the, the sun came, sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Third, sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. I didn't think it was a big deal. So we went ahead and bought it. We went and did that. We went forward and I knew we probably shouldn't, but then we did. And then that happened. And now we're here and then I'm going to lose this. And then we're going to lose that. Sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. And what happened is the Midianites were over top of the Israelite people because of sin. What sin? They made other gods before God. They started worshiping gods above Elielon. They started worshiping other gods than Elohim. They started worshiping gods, forgetting that Elroy sees what they're doing. They forgot El Shaddai tenderly loves them and is jealous for them. And now it kept them farther than they want to go. They're hiding in caves. It kept them longer when they stayed. Judges 6 tells me it's seven years they were under this oppression and it cost them everything. The Israelites, would, would, they would beat their wheat and sift their wheat and the Midianites would come and steal it right after they got done. Imagine working all day and then someone comes and steals the things you're working for. Israel was exhausted Israel was defeated. They tried to fight their own battles. You ever do that? You try to fight your own battles? You try to say, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna do this. You try to fight your own battle and you find yourself so defeated, so full of fear that you've had, you've just had what? Enough. And they cried out to God. And scripture says that an angel of the Lord came down and sat underneath a terebinth tree. Every time we see this angel of the Lord in scripture, it seems that it's deity. And what I mean by that is, this angel of the Lord will often unveil itself and the people who see him will respond with worship. So it's clearly not an angel because angels always do not accept worship in scripture. So this angel of the Lord, many scholars believe, is Jesus pre-incarnate. What does that mean? It's Jesus before he came to birth as a baby. Jesus is part of Elohim. He is eternal. He existed before he came to earth as a baby. He exists after. He's still alive. He's risen. But the pre-existent Jesus in the Old Testament is often this angel of the Lord. What's happening here? Well, he comes under this tree, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Gideon is in the wine press hiding. You don't go in the wine press to beat out the wheat, and he's in it. Why? Because fear 
will lead to hiding. That's what fear does. It leads to hiding. When we could be moving, we're hiding. And Gideon is full of fear, and he's down beating out the wheat in the wine press. Have you ever seen something that's really skittish and fearful? Don't point to people. My wife has a guinea pig, okay? And she got it for Christmas, and she calls her guinea pig Noel. And so... Noel sees me because our guinea pig now has a pack and play that it gets to run around in, okay? And and, and, because it needs to run. And if I walk by it, it scurries and hides. And so, hold on. Hey, this is open, so it's lots of air. Um, So if you, if, if you, oh, oh! (laughs) It's stuffed. Just stay, because you're checking your way awake. If you're at home, calm down. This isn't Noel, this is a stuffed animal of Noel. But this guinea pig hides. I mean, it'll hide, and if it wants to go from box here to box here, it'll be back here. You know how they make all their sounds? And it'll go over here. And it loves to be under something. I mean, oh my word, like half the time, it's like that. If you can see that, for, I don't know if you can. And if I come in, it's like, whoop, goes back in. Skittish, scared thing, and then you get it out, you know, and it'll just slide all over the place. Okay, here's the idea. I want you to give you this idea. Gideon is in a wine press. There you go, Gideon. Gideon's in a wine press, okay? And the angel of the Lord comes down and appears to him. And he says, look at scripture. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Does anybody see a mighty man of valor? I mean, this is crazy. The angel of the Lord calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. Oh, mighty man of valor. What's going on here? I'm getting excited, let's go. And Gideon just said to him, please my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Oh, Gideon's a little jaded. If God is so great, why am I hiding in a wine press? Hiding from the Midians? And where are all his wonderful deeds? Go back one slide, I wanna point something out. Do you notice Gideon says, please my Lord is lowercase? He doesn't realize who he's talking to. He just thinks this is a messenger, some sort of person. He doesn't even understand this as an angel or anything. And he goes, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And he says, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? You ever have somebody just mocking the things of God? You ever sit in church sometimes and you're feeling a little jaded about what's going on in your life? Like, oh, God is there. Gideon's kind of there. He says, but now the Lord has forsaken us and he's given us into the hand of Midianites. Fear listens to its feelings. That's what fear does. I feel alone, I feel abandoned, I feel God doesn't care about me. I want you to picture, now I'm the angel of the Lord and here's Gideon. He's telling God he's never there for him. You're never there for him. I'm I'm standing right here. God abandoned us. I'm standing right here. He doesn't realize who he's talking to. Have you ever complained about somebody and then they show up? Oh, <laughs> You ever text a complaint about somebody to the wrong person? That'll humble you real quick. I feel all alone, I feel all abandoned, I feel hopeless, he's talking to Gabor. He's talking to El Gabor. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midianites. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. Every once in a while I ask you, do you want to just step into seminary for just a second? I want you to see what Gideon just did there. He basically gave a diagram of Israel's class system at the time to explain to this messenger that he is hearing that he is not somebody who should be used. Here's my point. 
I'm gonna break this down for a second. He says, how can I save Israel? I'm gonna make Israel the big A, okay? Look at the class system. You have A, B, C, and then D. He says, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. He says, listen, there's all of Israel and then there's different places, one of which is Manasseh. My clan is in Manasseh and I am in that clan and I am the weakest of my father's house which is in that clan. I'm the least of these. He gives out a class system of Israel to explain, so this is no dummy, to explain to this messenger that he can't change this. It's hopeless, I can't do anything about it. Fear leads to hiding, fear listens to feelings, fear causes hopelessness. Can't do anything about it. I'm not gonna be able to make it. I look out into the future and there's no way God can use me. I'm too weak, I'm gonna fall apart. At one point I'll get exposed. And the Lord said to him, for anybody out there afraid of the call on your life or how God's using you. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. I was planning on going. I was planning on going. Oh, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man with me. And Gideon said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that's you who speak to me. I need some proof. Please do not part from here until I come to you and I bring out my present and I set it before you. And, and, and you know what the angel of the Lord said? He said, I'll stay. He's the God who stays. I'll stay until you return. And so Gideon scurries off and goes and gets a present. He, he prepared a young goat and a loving cakes from the ephah of the flour, the meat he put in the basket, and he brought it, he put it in a pot, and he brought them under the terebinth tree and he presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes. If you've been following our series, you're like a lot of cakes in this series. And put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. What are you doing here, angel of the Lord? And so Gideon did it. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. Our first kind of reference to a microwave, right? Bang! <laughs> and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. What's going on here? Well, Near Eastern religion practices thought if they obligated a divine visitor that they would have to follow through on what they were asking them to do. And Gideon's doing some of those kinds of things and God just goes, boom, how about that for proof? And then disappears. And Gideon perceived that this was not some angel, right? He perceived that this was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He thinks I'm gonna die. He's read in scripture. He's heard the prophecy. If you see God face to face, you're gonna die. And, and, and the angel of the Lord says to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon builds an altar there. And he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Fear leads to hiding. Fear listens to feelings. Fear causes hopelessness. But God in your life, fighting your battles, offers peace. So the angel of the Lord comes to him and he asks him to do his first step of Gabor. I call it a Gabor moment. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up on top of the high places where your father has built an altar. Wait, wait, my dad? Yeah. Elroy sees that you have allowed these altars to be built, Gideon. Your father has, and they've got Asherah poles, basically totem poles, wood poles. I want you to go up there. I want you to tear them all down. I want you to take those Asherah poles, put them on the altar, and I want you to sacrifice to me, the God of gods the God most high. You sacrifice to me on top of that altar. This is a Gabor moment. This is one of those moments when you're scared, you're fearful, but you've got to go. And so you know what scripture says Gideon did? Gideon took 10 men, look at this, of his servants, and he did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. 
It's nighttime. But you know what I call that? You say, Chris, why didn't he do it at night? Why wouldn't he break? I call that courage. That's incredible courage. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. That's not what courage is. Courage is being afraid, right? But doing it anyway. That's a Gabor moment. When you're afraid, you're scared, and you do it anyway. Fear leads to hiding. What are you hiding from? Fear listens to feelings. What feelings have you been thinking that just aren't true about RL? And what has caused you maybe hopelessness where there might be incredible hope, but you're gonna have to have a Gabor moment where you step in fear into courage because you're following El Gabor. I wanna leave you today with four prayers that you could pray to El Gabor. Four ways to call on the mighty God. We say things like, the battle belongs to the Lord, he'll fight for us, and then we go fight our own battles. How can we? Well, I believe leveraging El Gabor in your life, the battle God, the God who fights for us, is understanding how he fights and the way he will fight for you. Scripture makes that clear for us. It's Joshua 1.9. I'd like you to first, if you want God to fight for you, pray, El Gabor, fight with me. Ask for him to come alongside you. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Before you move, ask for his help. How often do you move before you've asked for his help? It doesn't always work out that great. I'm gonna respond to that email now. I'm gonna call that person. I'm gonna go deal with this. I'm going to fight my battle. And then it goes south on us. And we go, God, where are you? Ask him first to go with you. Why? Because when you're praying for God to go with you, he refines your heart. Because sometimes we're trying to move forward in our vengeance. And vengeance is God's. He refines us in our prayer life. God, go with me. First thing you wanna do if you want God to fight this battle that you're facing, ask for his help. But remember, Gabor does not fight alongside of fear, he fights alongside of faith. Move in courage. Second, ask God to fight not just with me, but for me. Ask him to go before you. You go first. When I communicate in different areas all over conferences, here speaking, whatever, I always say, God, you go out there before me. Prepare that audience. You get in that room. I've done this for meetings where I know I'm dealing with somebody maybe with a hard heart. God, go in there and soften that heart. Work out in front of me. He's a battle God who goes out before me into battle. He goes with you to fight for you, Deuteronomy 24. So the first thing, ask for his help. Second, tell him to go ahead. But remember, El Gabor does not fight for you when you rush. He fights for those who wait. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Be so hesitant not to rush into a battle if you haven't asked God to go before you first. The third thing, pray that El Gabor would fight through you. Through you. It's 1 John 4, 4, when we're having fear, little children, you are from God and you've overcome him for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, anybody who understands the context of that verse talks about the Holy Spirit living inside us. And one of the things we want to make sure we're doing is not grieving the Holy Spirit and living in sin. As we fight our battles, we must first investigate, are we asking God to fight through us? Well, then it's going to demand humility. If you want God to fight for you, remember this, God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. The path of humility in the current battle you're facing is the path that will leverage El Gabor. And then finally, did you know we can pray corporately? Psalm 44, five says, through you, we will push back our adversaries. Through your name, we will trample down those who rise up against us. 
Would you pray for church? Would you pray for us corporately that El Gabor would fight for us and protect us from the enemy's attacks, protect us from those who would seek to silence the message of truth that we believe we have in the scripture? But remember, Gabor won't fight for our name. He fights for his great name. And so often we want God to do battles for what we want. The battle God fights for what he wants. How could it inform your prayer life to know that when you pray to God, you're praying to El, Elohim, the creator God, Elion, the most high God, El Olam, the everlasting God, El Roy, the God who sees me, El Shaddai, the sufficient God, and El Gabor, the mighty God. Oh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You say, but Chris, before we leave, I'm ready to go, but before we leave, I got one question. What? Where is God called El Gabor in scripture? You never put up a verse about that. Like, where does it say El Gabor? We saw Gabor for the mighty men. Who is the El Gabor? Where is the reference? It's actually in Isaiah 9, 6. You're gonna recognize it. I'll read it to you. For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and you'll name him Wonderful, Counselor, El Gabor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What? Jesus is the El Gabor. He's the mighty God. He's the one who takes all us Gideons and goes, I will go with you and for you, and I'll use you. I'll even protect you with my righteous right hand. What battle are you going into? And you're feeling like a Gideon guinea, but you just found out El Gabor might be the one calling you into it. Heavenly Father, today, We're reminded that you're so much bigger than we could ever imagine. You're Elohim, the creator of the universe we live in. I live on an earth that's the size of a golf ball with a sun 15 feet in diameter. I am small, but you're massive. We pray to El Roy, the God who sees us in anything we're going through. We're praying to El Elyon, the, the name that even the demons quake at. We're praying to El Olam, the everlasting father, the one who will be there for us forever. We pray to El Shaddai, the one who supplies. He's more than enough. But whatever fight we're facing, Whatever adversary is knocking on our door, whatever battle we're currently going through, may we remember that El Gabor wants to fight for us, with us, and through us. So may our hearts be right so that he desires to fight for the humble, for the prayer warrior, and for the servant who moves forward in courage even when they're afraid. Lord, give somebody courage this week to do something that if they're perfectly honest with you, they're afraid to do. In Jesus' name, amen.